You're listening to the King's Hall Podcast, making self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Lou, if you walk out of Will's life now, don't you ever come back. Sit down. I ain't got time for no lecture. I said sit down, Lou. You know, Will was doing just fine until you showed up. But now that you're back, you have responsibilities to him. Look, we're still going to take the trip. Oh, bull! Bull! Will is not a coat that you hang in the closet then pick it up when you're ready to wear it. His life goes on. He's not supposed to be here for you. You're supposed to be here for him. You get off my back! You think I want this? It just happened! Now, when Will was a baby, I was scared. Cut the crap, all right? Cut it! Because I've been there. But I didn't run out on my family. I was there every day for them because that's what a man does. Fine, Philip. You win. You the man. You a better man than me. You happy? Now, you going to tell Will or not? I'm not going to do your dirty work for you. Fine. Uh, I'll call him from the road. Yeah, then why don't you do that? Yeah, I'll do that. Daddy out. What's up? Will, <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Um, some business came up I got to handle. So we're going to have to put a, our trip on hold. You understand? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. That's cool. Just, just for a couple of weeks. Mm, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little longer. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Look, I'll, I'll call you next week and we'll iron out the details. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, yeah. It was great seeing you, son. You too. Lou? Yeah, um... I'm sorry, Will. <laughs> you know what? Actually, this works out better for me. You know, the Slimmies of Summer come to class wearing next to nothing. You know what I'm Will, saying? Will, it's all right to be angry. Hey, why should I be mad? I'm saying at least he said goodbye this time. I just wish I hadn't wasted my money buying this stupid present. I'm sorry. I, you know, if there was something that I... Hey, you know do... what? You ain't got to do no, nothing, Uncle Phil. Hey, you know, ain't like I'm still five years old, you know? Ain't like I'm going to be sitting up every night asking my mom, when's daddy coming home, you know? Who needs him? Hey, he wasn't there to teach me how to shoot my first basket, but I learned, didn't I? Hey, I got pretty damn good at it, too, didn't I, yeah, Uncle Phil? Got through my first day without him, right? Mm. I learned how to drive. I learned how to shave. I learned how to fight without him. I had 14 great birthdays without him. He never even sent me a damn card. To hell with him! I ain't need him then, and I don't need him now. Will. Will. Now, you know what, Uncle Phil? I'm going to get through college without him. I'm going to get a great job without him. I'm going to marry me a beautiful honey, and I'm having me a whole bunch of kids. I'm going to be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as hell don't need him for that, because ain't a damn thing he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. How come he don't want me, man? Thanks a lot, Eric. Yeah, well, first of all, that was all Brian for finding and sending that video. I didn't expect you to actually make us listen to it before we recorded. I was trying to keep myself distracted, but yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I that is that is just like the other clip that we've shared from the Mari episode. Was it Mar- Jenny Jones? Same difference. The Will You Be My Daddy clip? <laughs> yes. Do you want me to be your daddy clip? Yeah. That This is like, oh, my word. It is. No, no grown man can watch can watch that Will Smith clip and not be moved. Well, this is this is just like the the Chad meme, right? Where the girls are like, "Do men cry about anything?" Yeah, does he even feel anything? And then it would be the blackface on Chad King watching, watching that, that clip. clip. Yeah, it that is. <sighs> yeah, it's very heavy stuff. It, tied closely to something we want to talk about in this episode, which is generational startups. And kind of the idea for this show came about, I think, Dan, because of counseling. We just end up counseling so many men who are in this position of there's really not a lot of great stuff behind them. And they're in a position a little bit like Will's where they're basically saying, I'm going to have to do it on my own. I'm going to have to figure out how to be a man in this world, how to be a father for my own self. And there's not a lot going on behind them that's any good or worth replicating. 
So as as we start to talk about this idea, we're connecting it, at least I am, with something else, which is kind of this Peter Thiel zero to one starting from zero. I think there's a connection here with some of the startup language and what people are trying to do generationally. So, Dan, I want to start with you. We had in this clip, there's a number of things that we could talk about. But I think one of the pivotal questions that Will asks is, how come he don't want me? Um, as you think about that question, as you think about fatherlessness, why is that question so poignant? Yeah, because I think inherently in every man, uh, the desire to be to have a father that is pleased with you and to be wanted is ingrained in every every human being. Uh, uniquely so in men, also true in women, but because the line of fathers goes through men. Hmm. It's, it seems to be something that really, really strikes at the core of what it means to be a man. And I think we've brought it up before in the past, but even God the Father does this to Christ the Son at his baptism, where he declares that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what the Father is saying to the Son is, I want him. He's mine. I'm pleased with my son. And the other side of that is is what we heard in this clip, which is, I don't want you. I'm not pleased in you. And I want nothing to do with you. Mm. Brian, uh, I want to get your take on it. Why do you think that question is so important? Yeah, it, it hits hard. Exactly what Dan said. We're, this, there's a creational, it's a design feature. This is a design feature. The way that a car that has no oil is going to be throwing lights and saying, "This this won't work." You need you this this was made to run with some oil lubricating things up, right? We were made to live under the approval and the direction and the fatherhood of God. So when you take that away, when you take away the most potent human analog to that which is earthly fatherhood. It's supposed to image this and prepare us for and teach us about this cosmic fatherhood of God. You've taken away one of the most central relational ground grounding elements in human life. And you can't just do that and not have extreme consequences. I mean, very, very serious, serious consequences on the level of an individual human life, on the level of a family, generations all the way up to a society when you when you take that away you, you've tinkered with something central right you've destroyed something central so this this clip hits so hard because all of us to some degree understand the longing that this character in this show that's not real and whatever and we all know that watching it that's like we know that this isn't a real family but we know when we watch it that that it's a, not just a real thing that they're pointing at, but it's like a central thing. Many, many people know what it's like to have a father who has rejected them. Or um, many people know what it's like to have a father that did not give his overt felt approval. You know, so m- many sons and daughters had a father who was there, but they, he was never pleased with them. And so th- I think there's just an open wound like a raw, gaping, open wound in our society right now in some unprecedented ways in this moment. Yeah. Um, So if you, let's say you have somebody like Will um, who comes uh, for counseling, you're talking to him, you know, we'll get to the point in the show where we're talking about, okay, how, how do you start doing the building work and the replanting and all that? But it seems like to address this issue of fatherlessness, what, what do you tell them? How do you give them encouragement? How do you give somebody hope? in that situation to address this, you know, call it a father wound. How do you, how do you counsel Dan, that type of person? Well, I think it has to start with fundamentally the perfect father. You point them to God, the father who is actually, I mean, who the best fathers emulate, you know? And so the healing uh, first, the recognition that, you are actually hurt. Like this sounds like therapeutic kind of stuff, but usually, usually uh, men in this situation, I've found they're 
they need to to look the problem in the eye mm-hmm. that yes your father was actually as awful as you're saying and the ramifications are going to be felt for the entirety of your life and then to look to the answer which is is God the Father to start showing them how God the Father will fill a lot of those gaps that they feel you know it's such a personalized thing mm-hmm. with these men because you know you sit down in counseling with some guys that you're like in a lot of ways you're really competent you're you seem like you're tougher than me you have you know a lot of these guys have that I've spoken to have really good paying jobs it seems like they're doing okay with their family and then they'll just break down because of this, like we said, this lack of approval from a father, this, this relationship that's so key and so core to their identity being in disorder. And so the first, I think the first step is recognition that that's actually what happened and then pointing them to God the Father. I know that doesn't sound like a very satisfying answer, Mm-hmm. And you get into the building work after that, like, the, okay, now what do you do? But identifying the problem, identifying, like, why are you the way you are? Why do you have these longings? And then directing them at the ultimate source, which is God the Father, is the very first step in mm-hmm. the process of healing. Yeah, it seems like part of that. So so part of what it, you're getting at is like a confession um, even sometimes confession is it, obviously we think of confessing our own sin, but also just you know when we speak about the things that have hurt us, um, there can be healing that eventually comes from that. It seems like Brian, one of the other things that we have to do. Certain people have done well. Some of them are Absaloms, but we have to be able to empathize with what these young men are facing. Yeah. So when you're thinking about it as like a a pastor. And maybe you counsel a young man in this situation. Why is and, and we're talking the right kind of empathy here, but why is that an important aspect of of helping them? Well, I think that th- consider how the father wound hits. It's like no one cared for me, no one accepted me, no one no one was proud of me, no one was behind me. I had no cover. I had to figure things out. I was rejected. Um, so. When you talk about pastoral counseling, or or even just the encouragement of of amongst men, you know, a man encouraging another man as a brother, mm-hmm. we're talking about a fatherly kind of work, right? And so you can't just get down to the mechanics and and yell at the guy. Well, do better. Just don't be like that. Just do better. You 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 have to start by recognizing that there genuinely was, there were things stolen from him. There genuinely was a wrong done to him. It would be like uh, if I if I was counseling a woman who had been sexually abused or sexually assaulted, and I just went right to the here's what you need to do to, to get over this type of thing and never acknowledged you've been sinned against in a heinous way that is going to affect you, and it is not wrong of you to be deeply wounded by this. Mm-hmm. And for men particularly, it's not wrong for you to be so deeply wounded by this that you shed tears over it for a man. You're not, it's not shameful for you um, to feel this kind of intense loss at this issue. And, and starting there, but then like Dan said, when, when that, then when we move to the fatherhood of God, it's not trite. You know, it's like in Joel, when, when God says through the prophet that he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten, the hope acknowledges that there were years that the locusts ate. Like there were years where the plague came and you worked and everything was taken from you and you were left with nothing and you felt like you were going to die, right? So I do think it's important just because encouragement, counseling, brotherhood, it has a fatherly element to it. And so even in our encouragement of one another, in our counseling of one another, we are stepping into a fatherly adjacent role in doing that. So you have to start where a good father would. You know, and it's really interesting if you look the opposite at men who have had good fathers, even in story, mm-hmm. you know, I think you kind of see this inheritance that's been stolen uh, from a lot of a lot of the guys that we're talking about that have not had 
godly fathers or a father at all. And you can see the longing because we all share in this longing. So when we're reading Lord of the Rings and you get to that part where mm-hmm. Theoden is dying, let's see if I can do this without crying. And he says, my body is broken. I go to my father's and even in their mighty company, I shall not now be ashamed. Hmm. And we all hear that, even us with good fathers, and go, man, that is amazing. Like, the honor that is rightly bestowed on his forefathers to where he had to, like, essentially die in glorious battle to be worthy to be in the hall with his forefathers. And so I think empathizing with these guys, is it's probably not the right word because I can't empathize with them. I can sympathize, but I can't empathize because I didn't have a father that left me. I had a father that was there. And so sympathizing with these men is is much more in reach because I can even look to Theoden and go, man, that is a legacy. That is a legacy that makes my heart sing, like that I could be win honor and glory to be counted worthy to be with my forefathers that Mm -hmm. have come behind me and built a kingdom, you know, and these guys, like you said, they're starting at zero. Well, and it it seems like Dan, that a huge point of this is guys who are maybe realizing that wound, maybe they're accepting it, confessing it, whatever. You're at a pivotal moment. Brian, before the show, we were talking about this propensity for being blackpilled. Like, yeah, I kind of see a lot of these guys as like you're at a real crossroads because we've seen culturally you can take it certainly, you know, thinking about the riots in 2020 and all these disgruntled young men. There were a lot of young men who are just disgruntled. They have no fatherly leadership. So what do they do? Like, you know, burning down cities and stuff Mm -hmm. like this. What do you when you're thinking about these guys, what do you need to guard against in yourself? And yeah. And that keeps you from going down the black pill route. seems like one of the things is if you're sinned against, it could be really easy. Anyone who's sinned against, especially grievously, you can focus on that to the exclusion of I'm also a sinner in need of God's grace. Yes. Um, so what are some other obstacles with this going down this black pill route? Yeah. So the way that the sin against you works itself out is that it, it does affect when it's not dealt with it affects your whole life because we're going to talk about this more, but you get none of the things that you ought to have received in shaping you to be prepared for life. So you don't have, there's cultural zero, there's financial zero, there's, you know, you haven't had the approval of a father. And so some people are really, really, um, me, they're just little mice. They shrink back. They're not confident. Some men are wildly proud because they're constantly posturing for approval. And it's really because they want everybody to approve of them all the time. Everybody has to think I'm great. Everybody has to, you know, look at everything that I think and say it's right. That's the, it's just another aspect of this wound, right? So we're talking about a sin against you that gets in and kind of worms its way into a whole lot of different areas of your life. And one side effect of that, I think, like you mentioned, is that it can lead to a lot of sinful ways of dealing with the sin against you. It's 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 pernicious because you have this sin against you that's actually damaged your ability to be prepared to be a man or a woman, you know, to deal which is to know how to deal with your own sin, to know how to deal with your own weakness, to know how to like be a human being. So then you're going to be tempted to deal with that sin against you in all sorts of sinful or radically unwise ways. So one of the things you need to hear is for a sympathetic guy who's in your corner to come along pastorally or as a friend or as a father figure, whatever it is, and come in and acknowledge the wound, understand, be an understanding person, and then also not let the person wallow there because they love you. You know, what's interesting about the black pill movement and it, with fatherlessness is that it's actually within the grain of how your fathers have sinned. And so we say like doing a, you know, start it, doing a startup zero to one, whatever. That's not necessarily like the cleanest metaphor because you do have an inheritance. If your father abandoned you functionally, actually, I mean, that is the inheritance of generational sin that you're going to be tempted to. 
And so it makes sense that the black pill movement to a lot of these guys that don't have fathers would be attractive because ultimately at the core, the black pill movement is shrugging off responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's saying, I'm not, I'm not going to take responsibility. The world is set up against me and it doesn't even matter anymore. So I'm going to do what I want. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. And so why even try? It's the same thing that a father who abandons his kids says. The same category of sin. Yeah. And it will lead to more of the same. So you need somebody to get in there and say, I understand why you're where you are. I understand. I understand why you're angry with your family all the time and why you're, you're, it seems like your fuse is a centimeter long and it goes like that and you're set off. I understand why you don't seem to be able to have self-control with alcohol. I understand why you're having all these problems, why you're financially in wreckage. And I love you enough that I'm now going to step in like a father would have when you were three or four or five and teach you how to actually repent of your sin, take radical responsibility, and get out of the mire, right? People who hate you will just, they will pick at the wound for you. And there are blogs and there are Reddit threads and there are all kinds of manosphere guys who will help pick at the wound for you. And they will fertilize the root of bitterness and basically say, yeah, let's, you don't even understand how bad you have it. You don't even understand how much you've been wounded. You should, don't even understand how bitter you should be and how angry you should be. And the reason they do that is because bitter, angry people are easy to manipulate. They're easy to manipulate. They're easy to monetize. They're, you know, all of that stuff is just another false father figure stepping in and taking advantage of, of a bastard world. So in order to address it, you absolutely have to be the kind of brother or father or mother who will step in and say, I'm not going to let you just stay here. I understand why you're there, and I'm not going to shame you for being there, but I am going to give you – it's going to be hard, but I'm going to help you. Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal point. And I think part of it too uh, – I've seen this in counseling. Uh, right, we want to honor our fathers – and then we want to repent of their sins at the same time. Doug Wilson talks about this in Father mm-hmm. Hunger. The yeah. wise son will repent of his father's sins. But think about this laying of foundation. Before you can even get to that point of a startup, mm-hmm. a generational startup, let alone a business startup, you cannot be laying the foundation when your heart is full of bitterness towards your your fathers. Yeah, absolutely not. And so there's this process where you have to forgive. You have to commend them to the justice of God. And then you have to repent of your own bitterness. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed for guys, too, this can be – it might take five years of really continually repenting, you know, noticing you you want to say derogatory things about your fathers. Um, and, and everybody's usually on a scale. Yeah. But what we have to do – again, you forgive them. You, you acknowledge, you know, where there was sin, but then you move on. And a lot of us – you know, as as you're helping these guys, like a lot of them, you think about Will Smith, like he's not going to have peace with his dad, it doesn't sound like. Maybe years down the road, but some guys never will. Maybe dad's already dead. Mm-hmm. So that it's not like you can actually make a real peace. Yeah. But you're still going to have to honor and forgive. You have to recognize that the gospel and the demands the gospel makes on us is a hard but good gift. Mm-hmm. When Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and then explains it, for if we do not forgive others when they sin against us, neither will our Father in heaven forgive us when we sin. Right. Right? That's a hard good gift, because what God is doing there is he's actually being a good father. He's freeing us from what will only destroy and enslave us, which is bitterness, black pill, rage. The, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. It is not a safe emotional state to remain in. It's even righteous anger is supposed to drive us immediately to righteous action so we can deal with it and move on because hmm. it's not a safe thing for us to handle. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He will repay. So for us, we have to remember that God only gives us good gifts, including the duties he gives us. So when he, he doesn't suggest, he requires that we forgive people who sin against us, even in heinous ways. Like it is a requirement we have to understand that that is actually a part of, that's the kind of fatherhood we needed all along, mm-hmm. is the father will say, do the hard thing and do it now, because it's going to destroy you if you don't. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, it seems like also, Dan, okay, so you're doing a startup, 
before maybe you lay the first brick in the foundation, one of the things we have to have is inspiration, right? You have to have a vision for what you're trying to build. It seems like one of the ways men could be motivated is by reading the stories of other men who, yeah, maybe they had a bad lot. Maybe there wasn't great fatherhood behind them, but they were still able to build something glorious. So as you're thinking about this issue, why is why is the appropriate vision an inspiring vision? Why is it important as we as we push toward the startup of a generational legacy? Yeah, well, I know that we've talked before about that Seneca quote, if a man knows not which port he sails, no wind is favorable. Mm-hmm. You know, and that kind of makes sense with the black pill movement. Again, if you're not familiar with it, it's it's just essentially saying everything is worthless, pointless, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it is the, my vision is no vision. Mm-hmm. It's, there is no purpose. And so having a vision is absolutely vital going forward. A man exists for mission. Like even as Christ, he's, he's ascending to the father and he gives mission he says, here's what you're going to do. Go and do this thing. Okay. Uh, this is something that we all need. And, and the thing is God wins the hearts of men through story. You see this, like God is telling a story. He wrote it. He wrote his word, uh, as a story, you know, a narrative from creation all the way to ultimate judgment in the end, everything is a story. And so going to these stories of the great men is absolutely a major help. And then the challenge is though, right. Practicalizing it, Mm -hmm. right. How do you make I can tell you the story of King Theoden from Lord of the Rings, and you can go, yeah, that's great. But what does that look like, you know, Thursday morning when I go to work, a job I don't really like, you know, and go home to a family that I'm having a hard time with and a mortgage that is difficult to pay, you know? And so at that point, you have to practicalize it and just ask the question, what am I for? Yeah. What do you exist to do? And if you don't have a father who's there saying like, son, this is what you exist to do. And let me show you by the way I live. That is a really hard thing to get ingrained in you. And it is easy to become, you know, depressed yeah. about that. So, so yeah, I mean, then, then you start the building blocks of like, what am I for? Yeah. What do all men exist to do? When you have, a, is, go ahead, sorry. No, what does this man exist to do? Yeah. You know, when you have a foolish father, you have to take the responsibility of finding wise fathers and you have to go find them and, and then, and then listen to them. And, and it's like, it sucks. You had to do that, but if you don't do it and just wallow in the black pill, then um, you're, you're, you're going to just become a, a black hole yourself. So it seems like Brian, that would be twofold uh, and uh, agree, disagree. I want to hear your thoughts on this, but on the one hand, you know, it's people we read about, so inspirational stories of pe- men who rebuilt. Mm-hmm. But I think you're also saying you need to find men like this in your real life. Yes. Yeah, you need to find men like this in your real life that are also all together aspiring towards these archetypal fathers. Because all of the archetypal fathers are just pointing back to the the archetype of fatherhood, which is God the Father. So... All of us are going to need to have – we're made for this. Like we run on this. Like Dan was saying, we run on these stories that are supposed to instruct and inspire us and move us to action and give us a target to aim for. So you can think, what would King Loon do right now? What would Theoden do? What would – you know, and, and on down the line, what would this? What would these fathers do when faced with this problem? But you also need to find those people in your actual life who can know you because the gap is you don't properly know yourself – one of the tasks of counseling is actually to help people know themselves accurately because most of us don't. There's a gap between like what you're like really and what you think you're like. Yeah, I mean, you can watch all the Marvel movies you want and you'll never be a superhero, even if you <laughs> yeah. really believe it. Yeah. You need someone to come in and be like, hey, um, I, look, I know you've read a lot of theology books. That's great. Do you know that you have absolutely no emotional intelligence and you're one of the strangest people I've ever met? Yeah. And here's how to be a normal human being because you're weird. Or like there's a reason that you haven't found a wife and it's not because all the ladies are hoes. That's a problem. But I mean, you're also incredibly just a strange person. 
You're very abrasive. You're very abrasive. You're very short. You're, you don't groom yourself. Like, there's so many things. A father would come alongside and be like, son, son, you smell bad. Like, I'm giving a silly example, but like, you tell your kids, there comes that conversation when they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and they're like about to go out the door and you say, hey, son, come here. Let me teach you about deodorant and how to take a shower properly. So th- there's like that relational equivalent of not being able to smell your own BO that absolutely requires you to have men in your life who will be a father to you and help and actually know. This is why internet celebrities won't do it. We won't do it. We won't cut it for you guys out here in Ogden, Utah. We're not your pastors. You know, it's like you need real people. Yeah, and that that goes even for guys who did have good fathers. Totally. Like you need other men, mm-hmm. you know, because masculinity is is caught, not taught. You can read all the masculinity books you want and blogs and watch all the YouTube videos, but you actually need boots on the ground. Yeah, some you need the, other men. Some of the weirdest guys on earth are the guys who read all the masculinity stuff. Like, just to be frank, some of them are the strangest. Like, people who go to, um, like, red pill conferences – Oh my Weird. word! Like the people who pay a thousand dollars a ticket to go attend one of these things, often some of the most dysfunctional human beings on earth, because they know a lot about like how to be an alpha, but they're not alphas. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> alphas do not pay a thousand dollars to go to a red pill conference. Like I'm just letting you know right now, they just don't. They simply don't. <laughs> Newsflash: None of them do. They actually that's they're they're making a thousand dollars off of you for coming to their red pill conference. That's the alpha is the one doing that to you. So, so you you need you just need guys. You need guys who can smell your breath. That's that's kind of that's kind of gay, but hey. Yeah, I think that's a that's, that's a weird. Way that to put is it. A great. <laughs> so I just had a, we were talking about awareness, <laughs> self awareness, yeah, and uh, <laughs> help you understand yourself. Weirdness. Yeah, no, being that's strange, great. saying weird things. But I publicly. do. I do really think it's helpful though when you think about you know what fathers do, especially for small boys. Right, I have young young men in my home and small boys. And and it is. It's all like how to behave in community settings. Mm-hmm. And that's what fathers are for is to help set those rails. Well, it, it, one one quick note on this yeah. too. Th- these aren't trivial things either. No. Like emotional intelligence. You are going to have a tremendously difficult time making money if you are if you have no idea how to handle people. Well, yeah, there's a trope, okay, that you get the guy who's like really good on his ACT, SAT, 4.0. Yeah. And he's going to be working for the guy who is partying in college, <laughs> yeah, the often. C student, yeah. because a, a lot of those guys, they've got such high EQ that they're able to navigate in the mm-hmm. world. I mean, around circle or circles around these guys that are yeah. actually more intelligent. Yeah, dude, that's so true. I'm tr- I'm trying not to use examples from my own life. Yeah, <laughs> not be and, I, and local church people that are listening. I'm actually not thinking of any of you. There was an example though <laughs> that, that I really want to use, but I'm not. I'm going to choose not to because it probably it would be rude. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, these people exist, so and they need help. So is there any story, or was that just a long tangent to... I'm just... I, what I'm doing is I'm performatively telling you about how much self-control I have. Wow. Yeah. Are you guys impressed with me? I'm not. No. I wanted to hear the story. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll tell, I'll tell you what. I think I can generalize it enough. So uh, we're talking about people who they don't know themselves. This is actually a really, really important concept, because everybody has a gap between their true self and their awareness of their self. Even the be- even the best of us. Except for me. Except Eric Khan. Yeah. Eric actually it, complete alignment. <laughs> <laughs> when you're as simple as Eric, it's easy to it's know easy. oneself. <laughs> oh. 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 C spot run. C spot run. Easy to memorize that book. Yes. Okay. Uh <laughs> I know what I'm we're about. We're being so mean, Eric. I know what I'm about. He knows what he's about. Uh, or should I say Leroy Tankins? Leroy Tankins. <laughs> As you've been dubbed. Yes. Um, no, but this gap exists because God is the only one with exhaustive, perfect knowledge. Hmm. So there's always going to be a gap between our knowledge of ourselves and our true selves. And uh, this can come out in comedic ways, but also devastating ways. And fathers, God gave fathers partly to help that gap narrow and also to help you go from knowing yourself and knowing an ideal so that you can know the gap between those two things and make actual progress towards the ideal, right? Becoming a man. So <laughs> being a pastor, you have you you just encounter weird people sometimes. And and I just remember like I've had experiences where 
And it's young men almost always, in my experience, who will come into your you know, life somehow seeking counsel or asking for help because they know you're a pastor. And they just, you start interacting with them and you realize quickly, this is the most socially awkward person I've ever met. Sure enough, like I had one of these encounters in some undeterminate, indeterminate amount of time ago. It could have been yesterday, could have been 10 years, and I'm not telling you guys. And this young man slash young woman will just say, I've already said it was a young man. <laughs> like, Let's call him Leroy. Let's call him Leroy. <laughs> Leroy came into my life asking for some advice and counsel and um, an absolutely stunning amount of knowledge. Like, clearly had read reams of books and encyclopedic memory. I mean, impressive. Asking me theological questions where I'm like, my brother in Christ, I've never even heard of that controversy. And you're asking my opinion about it. Like, what's, what's your opinion on the Doolittle do, 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 do controversy of 1643? You're like, I... I Yes. It was based. <laughs> it existed, <laughs> maybe. But this guy, while he had this exhaustive knowledge, he had no idea how to be a person on a level that was shocking. I thought it was fake at first. My wife was there in this interaction, and later she was like, what is wrong with this person? Like, genuinely, I'm concerned for this person. And it turns out that essentially this person was fatherless. They did not have a father, like didn't have a good father figure at all in their life pastorally in any level. And so they were the product of someone who takes all this raw power, natural intellect, natural talent for, for you know, could absolutely succeed, but was completely left adrift to their own devices. And one of the most clear indicators of their fatherlessness was that their perception of themselves was clearly like, I'm going to be a pastor. This person thought they were going to be a pastor, and they were asking my advice about this. And I was like, you have no idea who you are. Your gap between <laughs> your self-awareness, your self-assessment, and reality, you should not pastor anybody. Like, you would be the worst pastor worst well-meaning non-wolf pastor of all time. Like, you'd be trying really hard, and you should do something different. Well, the, the but weird, it was fatherlessness. The weird thing is, seminary was full of guys like that. Really? Yeah. I remember talking to one guy in particular. We were in, a, like, shepherding groups, which because they were trying to father these young kids. It, it, it was ham-fisted and awkward, but mm -hmm. they tried to have these groups where, I think your freshman year, you had to be in them. Um, and, like, the professor would kind of, like, coach you up. And yeah. We were, like, doing the whole, like, group therapy thing. You know, you go around the room and tell a little bit about your story. And one guy was like, listen, I'm a phenomenal preacher. I just hate people. <laughs> and you're like, you're probably actually not good at and preaching either. <laughs> what's funny is the uh, the professor said, he goes, you, you, your comment, right? Like, uh, well, if you hate people, why would you be here? What are you He doing? got there, but first he goes... What makes you think you're a good preacher? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do you have any recordings? But but I think it oh, is man. the reality that, you know, when you think about that, it's like you could get to 20, 24 years old and be in a position where in your life where, like, you haven't had fathering, so you, you don't know who you are. But I think this ties closely to kind of the startup and the vision. You have to have a, a clear vision of what you want to do, mm -hmm. typically, to get to a startup. But I think, Brian, what you're saying is, one of the roles of fathers is to help you see that the gap between the vision mm -hmm. and you, and you have to know that if you're going to build something meaningful, Yep. Uh, whether that's a business, whether that is a legacy. So gentlemen, I want to ask you at this point, as you're thinking about a startup, let's just any startup, what are the unique challenges that you will face in a startup? Oh, man. So I, well, can being, I can I ask this first of all? Yeah. Okay. So we're doing new Chris and Impress. Oh yeah, we know. We kind of know. And we're like in the middle of a startup. Yeah, it's easy, guys. Maybe that's Anybody why we were it. talking about this. But <laughs> I've done it before with other media companies. It is exhausting, very difficult, all consuming. There's like every other day, you're like, "Are we going to make it?" 
there's a crisis here, there's a thing that was going to happen that falls through that you're depending on and then it doesn't work and then there's a there's a new challenge and then there's multiple t- people you're working together with that are all re- like not us but I'm sure other companies have yeah. this problem where there's like really hard-headed strongly opinionated people all working no, together no, trying to do not. different things each of them thinking that like the best idea is option 1 and the other person's like no, it's option purple. Like we're not even talking numbers. We're on to colors. Other other companies have this problem. Yes. So Dan, unique challenges. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm also starting a second company right now. So one of the things that's really challenging for me being on the admin side is trying to navigate all of the rules. There's so many stinking rules mm-hmm. from taxes to government regulations, payroll stuff. I mean, legal structures. All of that is really challenging, especially when you start off not knowing what the rules of the game are and you're trying to discover them. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that was like, it sounds like I was actually preaching this. Like, hey, man, <laughs> I know that. You know, life is kind of like a startup. No, but seriously, like when you're starting something fresh like this and you don't know the rules of the game, it is a really, really difficult task. Because you have to discover them as you go along. And sometimes, believe it or not, you find out that there are certain taxes that have to be paid the next day. (laughs) Really? And you have to try to make changes to your business structure. What are taxes? (laughs) Believe it or not, they're things that the government takes from you. Money. Do they give us stuff? And if you don't, they bring guys with guns. To give you the gun in exchange for the money? Definitely not. That would be a good deal. You're kidding me. I'm not joking. This is legal? No, ironically, it's not according to hey. our constitution. Wow, this was a this was a quite the tangent. Yes. Anyway, so patented so, tangent. I mean, if you're if you're comparing this to like having uh, a, a a man who's fatherless, you haven't been instructed on the rules of life. Yeah, you don't you don't know them. I mean, I'm not just talking about like taxes, and there are a lot of them. <laughs> well, There's, no, the rules. I mean, but you saw that in the clip. Mm-hmm. If you replay it, he says like, "Hey, I learned how to shave. I'm I went on my first date." I I made my first basket. I had 14 birthdays without him. Yeah. Like I can figure this out all yeah. on my lo- all on my own. But you know how much better it is to have somebody that's like, "Son, let me show you how to shave. Son, let me show you how to take a woman on a date. Son, let me show you how to drive." Well, this, this is one of the most interesting things about uh Clint Eastwood movie Gran Torino is he fails his kids. His kids leave. They they mutually hate each other. But then he kind of has a redo with the neighbor kid who he calls Toad, which is very racially insensitive. Uh, but what's great about it is he's basically, like, he'll take him to the barber, and he teaches him, like, here's how do you talk to a man. Um, he notices he's being all awkward around this girl he likes. And he's like, we well, like that girl? And then he's like, here's how you talk to a woman. But first, you need a job. You know, so he helps him. He gets him some tools, and he's like, you can, you know, you can pay me back. Here's what you do with the tools. I'll help you get the job with my friend. So... A lot of fatherly stuff going on. One of the things, Brian, I also think about startups is they just require an intense, insane amount of effort. Yeah. We started St. Brennan's. We started New Christendom Press. (laughs) Yeah. You guys decided that you were going to revamp what the church looked like in a matter of a year. You know, it's been longer than that, but Mm -hmm. a short time period. Talk about the energy consumption with a startup. Everything is harder. Everything is harder. What do you mean, when you say everything, do you, which things? All of the things. <laughs> Every of the things is harder. So imagine stepping in as a pastor. You understudy with a guy. You come out of your training. You've got a, five years of pastoral training. Older pastors pastored a church well for 40 years. Stable, con- doctrinally stable, fruitful, the whole sweep of generations, young kids up to old people, mature Christians, they've got their normal church problems, but you're stepping in there, that guy lays hands on you, he says, this is the guy that's been trained, he's ready for this, you guys listen to him, you're a 35-year-old guy, whatever, you step in, you start that. Ideal. Stuff's hard, pastoring is still hard, because you still have to do a good job of, church discipline's hard, preaching's hard, counseling's hard, and you still have to do those in a healthy church. Uh Now imagine that you step in after the lead pastor has committed adultery and the church is a couple years old and a lot of the people are new converts from radically sinful backgrounds who are like Ninevites. They're all tatted up, listening to 
terrible music. Half of them are on drugs. None of their families are Christians. And they pretty much have never even heard of the book of Ruth. Or they're like, there is a book of Joel? I've never even heard of that. You have to explain what page number the books of the Bible are on when you start preaching. You're like, Ephesians is in the Pew Bible. It's page 1,302, right? So obviously those are different things. Now, the guy with the great setup, pastoral counseling is hard. The guy with the really bad setup, pastoral counseling is still really hard, but he's dealing with 30-year-olds who have multiple generations of sin that's being dug out of the field, and they're all like that. And then you find out they're like, wait, you're doing what? Yeah. You're, and you're saying you're a Christian? You're not allowed to it's do like, that at all. You can't do that. They're like, I'm not? Really? Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. That's bad. You need to give me your phone right now. <laughs> I'm deleting it. The whole thing. Right? <laughs> all of okay, it. Okay, so it's it's funny when you look at it on that level, but lots of people, their life has been like that, and they don't even realize that that's how hard their life... Like, they don't even understand because they have no concept of the healthy thing. So when you're in startup mode, everything is being figured out for the first time for everybody. And there's no institutional legacy or wisdom. There's no big team of people that are equipped and ready to help you. I mean, all of this is analogous to churches, families, companies. It's just a human relational reality. So as a fatherless man or woman... You just have to understand that you are in this startup mode in many ways, and it can help to understand your actual situation so you can you can navigate. You have to know think, where you are on the map before you know like how to get anywhere. And I, I think it just helps shape expectations. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had an older woman when I was in seminary, really helpful, one of the small group leaders, but they said to us, like, it's just going to be really hard. Everything's going to be really hard. Yeah. And... That for whatever reason that it was a helpful expectation shifter for me, where I just said, "Okay, yeah, things are going to be hard." Um, Dan, I want to ask you how do you how do you keep from in this situation? You know, you're in a startup mode. I I, I feel like we've done a, a really good job for whatever reason. It's just a unique feature about us as individuals and personality. But I I actually get excited by startups, right? Yeah, it's Whereas sick. like there's like the black pill thing, and 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 I tend to be like. This is new Woo. and exciting. Let's go blaze a frontier. Yeah. This is going to suck. I love it. Leroy Tankins. Leroy Tankins. <laughs> no, stop. Don't go. Stop. stop. You're going. No. Did Leroy just Leroy. go in there? <laughs> Dang it, Leroy. Uh, My but, leg is broken. <laughs> he killed us all again. Uh, but, Dan, I, I just want to ask you, like, how do – there's got to be something different about the, the way you, for instance, focus and think about a startup. It doesn't seem like we spend very much time wallowing. We just say, okay, no school, we'll build one. Is that a habit of mind? How do people cultivate that outlook on life? Oh, man, that's a that's a really interesting question. I think part of it is personality and strengths. <laughs> I think part of it is personality and just, like, proclivity to, to take risk. Mm-hmm. Part of it probably does help that we do have a high risk tolerance. Yeah, we all that do. That has been cultivated. Yeah. Actually, I was talking with my wife last night about some – financial missteps. Opportunities. I guess that's a nice nice way to to say it in the past. Startups come with those, by the way. And, <laughs> and it's so yeah. funny because she's like, oh man, I think about that that um, financial misstep that you made a while back and I just I I really am sad about it. And I'm like, oh that's funny. I never think about it. I never think about it. I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. That's a loss. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Yeah. On to the next thing. We got to keep building, keep working. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of it also has to do with the the fact that we do have a vision. Yeah, we're. I mean, like New Kristen Impress wasn't just like, oh, hey, we've got a successful podcast. Um, I guess there's opportunity. Maybe we could take advantage. No, we're like, now we're going to build a new Christendom before we started. Yeah, any of this. It. Yeah, we're going to build the new Christendom. I mean, we're just one small part of it. Yeah, it's not like we're figureheads. Or... We don't have any delusions of grandeur. Like, trust no, no, us. no, 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 no. No, it's just, hey, we're going to start with our families. We want to do our, our church, then our community. Um, Pastor Pastor Sove over here would say for many years, like, we're going to make Ogden a Christian city and Utah a Christian state. And that's that's our marching orders, and that means we're building the Christ, new Christendom here, and so. Uh, we genuinely believe that, and when yeah. you when you have that vision for your your own personal life, you start seeing opportunities everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. 
There are opportunities everywhere. When you have a positive outlook of the future Mm -hmm. and you have a specific vision and you know yourself like 80%, you know your skills, you know what you're good at. Other people have told you, uh, listen to the Hard Mind podcast with uh, Headmaster Kevin Love. If you want to hear more about the MAP principle, motivation, what is it, affirmation? Uh, Motivation, ability is in pattern. Yeah, some of those things are like, how do you know what you're actually good yeah, at? What you're calling. And, and when you, you know. start seeing that, you're like, wait a minute, somebody should do X, Y, or Z. And you're like, wait a minute, I can do X, Y, or Z. I've got five yeah. minutes a day I can devote to this thing. You know, you start seeing all of these opportunities. I, yeah, I think it's, it's personality. It's having a positive vision and uh, knowing yourself and having a high tolerance for risk that you just want to keep going for it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's actually healthy over the long term. We'll, we'll figure it out. You have to have but, a vision of stability in it being different the next generation. Yeah. But when you're – this is actually – so there's disadvantages and advantages of the startup. The startup comes with tons of work. Everything doesn't exist, and you have to make it happen, right? It gives you a great clarity, though, if you, if you, have, if you find good fathers, local and otherwise, who will say, this is, this is the, these are the constituent parts of a human life – in a, a healthy church community, et cetera. So you're like, okay, we need, we need, uh, I need a wife, I need children, I need a vocation, I need to think about education, I need to think about economics, I need to think about church life. So when you have none of those things, the to-do list is actually pretty straightforward. If you're a huge existing company or something like that, or you're, you're coming in a long line of health, and so the, the next to-do list can sometimes be easy to forget, and that's how you actually lose family legacies is because people forgot they needed to keep watching those walls and not let the enemy come in and take it over, right? But you can know, like this was one of the things that made it so exhilarating about the last five, 10 years of the church is because it was like, guys, we're, we've done the work. And some of it was years of work, by the way, to decide that what we needed to do. It wasn't like, I read one book, we're going to start a school. It was like, years of praying and thinking and reading and you know co- debate and conversation but when we decided it we had a big old target to point all of our strength at we're like okay this i've got hours i've got thoughts i've got words i've got resources this is what i'm aiming it for so the startup thing some some of you guys who are in this life situation where you have no legacy backing you up you're starting at zero financially. You're starting at zero culturally, theologically. Okay, that sucks. However, you do have an opportunity now to have a great amount of clarity about the next thing to do. And and you can be modest. You have to be modest and understand, I'm not going to fix everything. We're not going to build Christendom in a generation, and and you're not going to fix everything about your family or yourself in 40 years even. But you can have a great amount of clarity about what is the next thing to do. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to figure out. It's just, what am I, what am I supposed to do next? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, so Brian, you mentioned a couple, I guess, obstacles that, you know, people starting at zero face, particularly when you're trying to build a legacy, uh, financial zero, cultural zero, theological zero, you know, financially we think, well, it's just harder to get stuff done when Mm -hmm. you don't have legacy money. Yeah. Um, you don't have institutional money. So a lot of us are saying, okay, well, I've got a you know, I've got to work a day job in order to build these things like mm-hmm. media. Whereas, you know, if you're Rupert Murdoch money, uh, you can accomplish a lot more quicker. Yeah. It seems like part of this then becomes patience and just productivity uh, in, in yeah. saying like, hey, we're not going to we're not going to build Rome in a day. Be humble. Be humble. If you're if you have no money and you're twenty thousand dollars in debt, your goals need to be modest. Your goal needs to be like. In two years, we're going to be debt-free, realistic, achievable, named, specific. And millionaires. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's how most of us think, though. We're like, and that's what gets us in trouble. Okay, by the time that my kids are entering adulthood, I hope to have our home paid off. That's a modest goal. That's not like, oh, my, everybody's going to throw a party for you. That's great. Now you have a, a, a foothold. They're not going to start from zero, Right. You might not be able in your life to own 30 or 40 doors of real estate. 
Not everybody's going to be able to do that. If you start with a goal that you're like, in five years, we're going to be millionaires and we're going to be doing the real estate thing and start a business and all that, you might actually end up failing at all of that spectacularly because you tried to do everything and you're actually not being, you're not being humble. You're not assessing yourself in humility. What a father would do and say, whoa, whoa, son. Hey, before you do that, why don't you start by Cleaning making more than $13 an hour? Yeah, yeah, right. And a lot of guys, though, they yeah. don't actually stop and do that step. They're like, I make 13 an hour, 15 an hour, 16 an hour, and I have these delusions of grandeur. I need to actually figure out the steps steps four through eight before I get to that step nine of real estate or this other thing, you know? I, and and that's, a, that's, a, that's a fatherly thing. That's a fatherly input that's missing. Yeah, what you'll find is if you scrap, so if you have a realistic goal, uh, saying paying off your house and you start doing the math and you're like, wow, I'm not going to be able to pay off my house by the time my kids are out of the, you know, yeah, grow. Not work. So how much money do I have to make in order to make that work? Yeah. And you start by saying, well, if I can make a hundred dollars extra a month towards my house payment, yeah, maybe that's all it takes. And you start the hundred dollar a month thing mm-hmm. and see if you can make $200 a month yeah. and see if you can make $500 a month. All of a sudden, you, you know, yeah. The first realistic see step. what happens helps you figure out that there's actually other steps in between. You might think it's an easy next step is like start paying off my house. That might actually lead you to realize that there are, there are steps between where you are and even doing that. I need to make more money. I need to think about my trade. I need to think about my vocation. I need people who know me, who can tell me what they think I should do. I need to seek counsel and get wisdom. You get input, not try to figure this out just with me and my internet connection. Like All of those things are what a father should have given you. Well, you didn't have them. So now you have to find those fathers and, and, and take those practical next step, but you have to understand that your goals might be more modest than you really at, at heart wish they were going to be, and that's fine. Yeah, so one of the things we've been talking about is being aware of blind spots. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I want to ask you just a couple blind spots that people could potentially fall into. If, if you're in this generational startup mode, one of them certainly seems to be extremism. Because we lack this generational stability yeah. um, from fathers and grandfathers who have gone before, you think about some of the companies who've been around forever, they didn't have a vision and trajectory for a decade even. They had it for 200 years. And yeah. that institutions are naturally stabilizing. So if we don't have that, there's extremism mm-hmm. um, that we can be prone to. What, what are some other things that you see as potential pitfalls for startup generationally? Yeah, extremism is a huge one, and it actually ties back to – it can tie back to what we just talked about. It, extremism takes many forms. Mm. It can be I have an extremely unrealistic standard for everyone around me, including myself, and I think that I'm just going to be a millionaire in five years or whatever. Everything needs to be perfect tomorrow. Exactly. It, it, when you don't know, when you don't have lived an experience to draw on, you can't look at a father in history and say, this is what it looks like to be stable and fruitful as a man, a woman, whatever it is, mm-hmm. then what you can tend to do is develop these mental models that are shiny and perfect, and and the world is going to obey my model. Yeah, no. have, never having anybody who's actually had a positive vision and guided you mm-hmm. through their vision, like a good father or even a good pastor would do, because in, in counseling, just the same thing as in fathering. You can, you know, you sit down with your son or with a parishioner at your church and and you immediately see like there's a whole lot of problems. And the goal isn't to fix all the problems that minute. Mm-hmm. It's it is time. to fix all of them, but it's going to take time and you start with the first thing. Yeah. And so if you don't have a guide mm-hmm. who has shown you like here's how you actually accomplish these tasks, then yep. you will be prone to extremism. Yep. Because you don't know how to actually progress. Yeah, you'll mistake knowledge for maturity. You'll mistake knowing things for being mature. Like, so you'll develop, the, the guys in this situation, women do this too, just sometimes in different areas, more commonly in different areas. Women tend to do this with like, our, our family was really unhealthy growing up. We ate off the Cisco truck, whatever, you know, seed oils, everything. And then women can become absolute Nazis about food in completely unreasonable ways. And everybody must obey my mental model. We talk about this on Bright Hearth a lot. Like, ladies, you're not allowed to just march in your house and say, we're going to be vegans now. No, you're act- no, don't. No, stop. Like, back it up. It can be essential oils. It can be anything. Men do it with theology a lot where they're like, listen, I have figured out the perfect theological model for literally every aspect <laughs> of systematic theology. And if you don't, there are, there's two categories in the world. There are people who agree with me about all of them, 
And then there are imbeciles who are not really Christians. And I didn't make the rules. That's just the, but those are the rules. Those guys are going to have a real hard time being a husband, a father, churchman, because they're being stupid. Is the is the technical term <laughs> that being stupid? And and they need someone who will tell them like, "Hey, son, you're an idiot. Here's how to repent." Right. I I also think what's helpful on the camp of extremism is say, look at examples of people like George Grant, people like Doug Wilson. I actually want to have guys in my life where what you see today is the fruit of thirty years. Yeah of stability, plotting, faithfulness, and not extremism. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So if if we can kind of surround ourselves with that too, I think it's helpful. The other thing we've mentioned before is the manosphere mm-hmm. and the tendency for young, disaffected men to circle the drain around alpha gurus. Sure. Absaloms, yeah. So that agree, disagree, that seems to be a pitfall here. It's huge. It's huge because – uh, fatherlessness is a job opening and 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 it's easy to it's a job opening that's easy to monetize when i say job i mean that like people will get paid to step in and do this for you so it's really difficult to assess the difference even between somebody who is um like again what do we do well we have a media company we have a press where we're seeking to publish helpful resources that will actually help people grow in the image of christ bear fruit in their life and it's a ton of work, and we put a, we put our heart and soul into it. We put a ton of hours and just, I mean, it's a ton of work to, to plod. Easy to make one podcast, really hard to consistently make good ones, write books, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Okay, is the worker worthy of his wages? Absolutely. Everybody who's asking you to pay them for something isn't a charlatan. That's not the case. But there are a lot of them. There are a ton of them, and there are a ton of them that are parasitically living on bastard on bastard world where they're saying you don't have a father here's how to be one and they're not christians they don't they they, they don't know the lord they don't know the father and so they're just saying come and depend on me not come and become a father and grow and become your own man right huge huge danger yeah i think that would be a good uh, conversation too for after hours invite people to that yeah uh, how to know when you're well first of all how to spot a, a grifter yeah absolutely and a charlatan but also when you fall into this camp of extremism so join us for that yeah by the way brian you can become a patreon supporter are you did you pa- know that are you a patreon supporter how to tell if someone's a grifter sign up for our patreon and we'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> i just i couldn't help myself I know, that was perfect there. that was perfect yes. guys no but we we do we people support the show if you like this content this is we do believe it's worth it we're not trying to grift you we believe it's genuinely good good helpful content and we do we will be putting a show out a little bit more talking about some of this and our own experiences and so it's a little bit less like formal in the after hours it's more like hanging out in a pub uh, kind of situation. But that's absolutely one of them. I also think that another danger that guys run into is that you have to learn every lesson by failure and not example. You don't really have to, but most of us do when we haven't had good fathering in an area. We just end up insisting on learning only by our failures. Well, you, I mean, you think about, say, like St. Brennan's. Yeah, it would be great if we, you know, had an a couple older men in the church who'd done it before and they could say, Hey, here's some of the pitfalls, but you don't. And so that necessarily means you're just going to learn on the fly. And, you know, I, I go back to an old Steve jobs quote, like fail early and often, like the, the way that I, you actually make progress is you just have to kind of embrace. There's going to be a lot of failure. Mm-hmm. And the biggest key, the biggest key is learn from it. Right. Yeah. So even financial, I, I worked for a painter and he would always say, like, we paint on a floor, you know, and he'd blow like $2,000 fixing the floor. Yeah. And he'd be like, well, we just paid $2,000 in tuition. I hope you learned something. That's good. It's tuition, right? I'm we pay a, that. We pay a lot of tuition uh, with New Chris and Press. I've and paid St. so much tuition yeah. in yeah. the last five Some years. Some more than others. Like, you wouldn't believe. I actually have a PhD. Actually, I would believe. You would believe. <laughs> <laughs> I have a PhD. So. You have a PhD. I mean... Multiple. Multiple. <laughs> hey, but I don't think about that. My dissertation and failure. <laughs> move on. Yeah. Next you, thing. Yeah, that it's actually one of the myths of the alpha guru is that you can win all the time. Mm-hmm. No. No, you no. can't. No. Well, I think that's the other, as we kind of wrap things up, I think that's the other piece, Dan, you're getting to on mindset. We talked about it before. 
But really, if you're going to be successful in any kind of startup, you have to have that Kobe Bryant swagger. That They talk about it with NFL quarterbacks, too. But it's like you have to keep throwing the football like you didn't just throw a pick. Well, and, and you can because if you are in Christ, you can call the shot. You, even if even if you don't really like win in the worldly sense, you're you're hidden with Christ. You have a father that loves you, and that it has bestowed on you the gift of His Son in an inheritance mm-hmm. that's going to be shared. Like you're secure, you're safe. Like what what could nakedness, sword, famine, anything bring against you? Like you can actually go out and you can win because the Father is for you. You're safe, so go. You can have a positive vision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love it. Uh, Brian, at this point, yeah, you're just so good at it. Thank you, Eric. Close it. You don't know what I'm going to say, though. I knew what you were going to say. You're going to say close it out. I see the, yes! I see the minute ticker on the, <laughs> on the board. The I see how long we've gone. So a couple things that are on my mind. We <clears throat> yeah. have a new Christendom Press conference we want to invite people to. Yes. We have Patreon. Mm-hmm. What what am I missing? Well, so that's actually a good connection there because so a lot of you do support the show. You help us make this kind of stuff possible. And we do, like, so you're aware, we we try to, like, make it clear what we're doing here. This is a, a company we're starting. It supports our families. This is, like, 40% of my paychecks in the month now come through New Christendom Press. 100% of Eric's come through New Chris. He works for the company full time. We've got multiple employees. Dan, Ben, Eric, Brian. I mean, there we Ray. We've got editors. So there's a lot of people who are working together to try and get this thing off the ground. And you guys who support us on Patreon, we try to make it worth it and give you great content and helpful stuff there that not everybody gets. Ninety percent of our content comes out absolutely free, and a huge percentage of our listeners listen to it absolutely free. That's great, and we're glad to do that. If you want to help this company succeed and exist and publish great books and content over the years for the long haul, uh, sign up for Patreon. We've got a link in the description there. If you do that, you get a discounted ticket to our conferences. So there's a uh, there's a link to our conference coming up in June. We'd love to see you there. Lots of details there that you can check out on that page. We've got a huge discount, like a thirty. You pay seventy percent off uh, to bring kids under eighteen. Every adult ticket comes with a lap rider for free if you got a two-year-old or under. We try to make it possible for everybody to come that that wants to and be able to hang out with us here in June in Ogden. So uh, check all of that out. Give it a look. Uh, if you can pitch in a couple bucks a month to help us make this, that's the kind of contribution that a lot of hands, a lot of different people participating helps get a company like ours off the ground. We hope it continues to serve you and serve you well and that it's more than worth it for you guys. Um, but I think that's all we've got. Beautiful. So until next time, fest in Alente, make haste slowly. Remember, the Lord's with you, and he's with you all the days, all the months, all the weeks, all the years, and he will build your house because he is for you. Mm-hmm.